1: You're listening to The Exchange. Here's today's show. Thank you, Scott, and welcome to The Exchange, everyone. Another big down day for stocks as new lockdown measures are imposed in Europe. And cities like Chicago restrict indoor dining. Will these measures halt the global economic recovery? The Dow's down 820 points. U.S. COVID cases have risen by a record daily average of nearly 72,000 over the past week. Hospitalizations are now up 5% in 36 states. Overseas, Germany imposing a month-long lockdown light that will close bars and restaurants in November, along with stadiums and theaters. The German DAX is now down 8% in the past week. You can see it's 4% drop today. France expected to announce similar measures within the next few hours after Italy and Spain have already imposed new restrictions. Let's get more on today's big sell-off with Bob Bassani. Bob, how are things looking this hour?
2: Well, uh, off of the lows, but not much. So what's happening is professional investors are simply reducing their overall exposure to the stock market right now. Now, how do you know that? Look at what's been going on in terms of the sectors. When you have two cyclical groups, tech uh, technology stocks and industrials both down 2 to 3% and then you have defensive groups which often move in a different direction healthcare and consumer staples for example also down almost the same amount that's a takedown that's reducing exposure overall to the market another tell oil watch oil oils down 6% it's near the lowest levels since June right now energy stocks well the energy complex as itself is right near the lowest levels Since going back to March, Occidental, that's a new low for Occidental, 52 week low, 52 week low for Holly Frontier. You see Apache, Devon, Marathon, big oil companies all down as well. Another tell that I watch REITs, real estate investment companies, if the business is going better, the reopening story is going better. They're doing better, but they're not. In fact, we're hitting new lows here. Equity residential, Boston properties. That's a new 52 week low there. That's another sign. Is anything working at all today? Can anything get helped by this uh, this covid? Well, uh, the mortgages are still doing well and the housing business is still doing well, folks. There's Horton. There's Lennar Pulte, even Masco to the upside. Guys, back to you.
1: All right. We'll take that one uh, green spot today. Bob, thank you very much. Bob Pisani. Look across the major averages, and you'll see that the Nasdaq is actually the worst performer today. Let's drill down on that for a moment. Big tech is no safe haven, and even the stay-at-home winners like Zoom are lower. Dom Chu has more now. Dom?
3: Valuation concerns probably have part of that kind of narrative in place right now. But if you look at technology, some would argue it is the most important sector to the overall market. Looking at the Nasdaq composite, it is now down roughly about 8 to 9% from the highs that we saw just over the course of the past couple of months, as you can see there. If you take a look at some of the breakdown of what we're looking at in hot spots, recent bellwethers. Take a look at cloud computing. One ETF that tracks it is the ticker CLOU it's the Global X Cloud Computing ETF. That particular move that you can see here, that right side there is down about 8 to 9% from recent highs. Within that particular constituency, look at these these stocks over the last week that have been the ones kind of leading to the downside. Akamai down 11 percent. Dropbox down 7 percent. Workday down 7 percent. That's just in the last week. Then take a look at what's happening with software overall. These are some of the big names that we all recognize. This particular ETF, the IGV tracks it as well. From the highs to the lows that we've seen today, down about 8 to 9 percent. Within there, look at the individual members driving a lot of the action. These are names we know. We're talking about Adobe down 8 percent. Oracle down 7 percent. Microsoft down 5 percent just in the last week. And we'll end it off, guys, with the semiconductors, a lot of deal activity there still. This ETF that tracks the semis, the Van Eck Vectors, ticker SMH, is down again, roughly 8 to 9% from recent highs. And within the semiconductor industry, look at these particular stocks. These ones here, Intel, down 16% in one week. Applied materials down 7% in one week. NVIDIA down 5%. Three hotspots within technology, Kelly. They could be telling us something about the overall health of that NASDAQ rally. We'll see if it continues on that downside trend, guys. Back over to you.
1: And, Dom, given how concerned people are about coronavirus in the headlines today, it's surprising that the stay-at-home trades aren't doing better.
3: So the stay-at-home trades, Yes. The reason why we're looking at names like Zoom, also maybe Peloton, Fastly, Shopify, so those, type, those cloud computing type names, we do know that the valuations perhaps are stretched. They've had massive runs to the upside so far this year. So it maybe stands to reason that if the markets do have a broader pullback, the ones that have more valuation concerns could be the ones that take a bigger hit. We'll see if that plays out in the trade later on today, guys.
1: All right, Dom, thank you very much, sir. Dom Chu back at headquarters. Uh, Let's check in on yields, which are also moving lower today. No surprise, but the 10-year is sliding well off its recent highs. Let's check in with Rick Santelli, who's out in Chicago with more on that for us. Rick?
4: You know, Kelly, there's many ways to look at this. Yes, we've had four sessions of yields moving lower. Today, it's kind of a wash. Long-dated treasuries are virtually unchanged, even though if you look at an intraday of tens at 74 basis points, that was an intraday low we haven't seen since the 16th of October. And if you look at month to date, we're not so bad off when you compare it to the next chart month to date. This is boon yields. Matter of fact, you have to zoom backwards to March to really see exactly how much pressure there is in Boon yields. And the reason I'm framing it that way is one would think, given the equity moves globally, domestically, Germany shutting down certain industries, we would see a larger effect. But we are not. And I think one of the big reasons we aren't, are the following two charts. Here's an Atlanta GDP now starting in May, and you can see how it's risen on the right side. Let's tighten that up to a September shot, and you can see we are on the highs. Tomorrow is our first look at third quarter GDP, and Atlanta GDP now is a whisker under 37, A new high. Now, I'm not saying there's not a lot of human tragedy in certain parts of the economy, like in Chicago we're shutting down, or in Germany. But there's other parts of the economy that can do the heavy lifting. And just as a sidebar, uh, when you talk about restaurants and theaters, in Illinois, there are now lawsuits in my town that are beating the governor's latest edicts, and they are saying they can control their environment, and they are staying open, and a judge has ruled in their favor. Kelly, back to you. Rick, since you're talking about
1: Chicago, one follow-up question to that, which perhaps the whole market would like to know. Do you get the sense that wider, broader lockdowns are coming this time or no?
4: You know, honestly, and I hate to say this, I really do, because I think it's all horrible and the hot spots are tough. And learning to live with it and trying to get the right therapeutics, we're making progress. But in the end, with the election less than a week away, there's a lot of politics involved in what's going on with respect to how we're potentially dealing with this. And that's why I thought the lawsuit in a town called Geneva, Illinois, was so enlightening yesterday.
1: Hmm. All right. We'll keep an eye on that one. Rick, thank you. Rick Santelli, we appreciate it. Let's turn to the S&P 500 down 5% just since Monday. Bespoke points out that the index has never been down more than 3% in the last full week before a presidential election. That goes all the way back to 1928. So these are unusual times. Now, is it a warning sign or is it a buying opportunity? Joining me now, Mark Lashini is chief investment strategist at Janney Montgomery Scott. And Randall Ely is president and chief investment officer at the Edgar Lomax Company. Welcome to you both. I'll frame the question uh, to you first, Mark. Is this a warning sign or a buying opportunity?
5: Kelly, I think it's the latter rather than. And that, of course, is buying opportunity. I mean, perhaps not quite to the level that I would necessarily be advocating back the truck up. I think we could see lower lows. In fact, yesterday's print on the VIX around 33 is indicative of about a 10% move in the S&P 500 directionally one way or the other. And that would have put probably the S&P 500 on the downside at around a 200-day moving average, which is around 3,130 as we speak, and that, in fact, would be where I would back the truck up. But in the meantime, if you look at today's trading action inside the market, what was leading before we just went on air was financials. Yes, utilities and REITs were also among the leaders, but so was industrials and materials, and small caps are outperforming the S&P 500 index. To me, that's not indicative of investors saying that they're fearful meltdown in global growth. Rather, it's a churning within the market away from those valuation, uh, high valuation sectors into those which are still going to benefit from a reflation narrative that I still think is intact regardless of the near-term concerns around the virus.
1: Yeah, no, it's a a great point that it's a really weird dynamic in the market today that even as we're pointing to all of these coronavirus headlines, value, which is often the reopening trade, is outperforming growth. Randall, I'll bring you in with the same question. Is this week's sell-off a warning sign because it's uh, unusual to have it going into an election like this, uh, or is it a buying opportunity?
0: Well, first, I wouldn't say it's a warning sign. I think the warning was when the stocks kept going up, particularly those big cap uh, growth stocks, uh, especially when you look at, at the tech stocks. But for a long-term investor, it's, there's always the time you know, to buy. You know, we like for people to keep their eyes on the fact that investments should be made over time. But markets can get overvalued. And I think this one uh, is in a position that, um, that anybody who thinks that just because we're having one down day is time to put everything in could have a, a wake-up call.
1: Randall, let me ask you, uh, Rand, Mr. AT&T, every time I see you, I know we do talk about it, but but that's your point. You know, you always stick with the names that you like and you look for opportunities that's to right. buy them. So AT&T yeah. is on your list. Pfizer, which is interesting because uh, there's a lot of concern or speculation about what's going on with its vaccine right now. And Exelon, uh, these are three names that you think investors can buy today?
0: Oh, I think they still can. Now, now Exelon has had a pretty good move up, almost 15%. Since uh, since I was on on with you about a month ago, maybe a month and a half. Um, But the fact of life is these these are long, long term, uh, you know, good investments to the extent today does provide a buying opportunity, though. I think it is with the value stocks. I heard you say earlier that the value stocks are are performing uh, the best today. And I'm glad they finally have. (laughs) But, But I think that this is only the beginning.
1: Mark, that's a subject of hot debate. Uh, where are you on whether this is going to be a value kind of rotation, ultimately uh, led recovery here or not? Are we just making too much of a one day uh, phenomenon?
5: I don't think we are yet, Kelly. I mean, I I know we've seen this movie before and been teased into thinking that now is the time for value to finally usurp the leadership of growth, which has obviously led now for more than a decade. But I think that we're likely at the precipice of that. And the reason is because we've never seen such unprecedented intervention on the part of monetary and fiscal officials. And I believe ultimately they will, in fact, be successful in not only reflating economic activity... You heard Rick talking about the fact that third quarter GDP, according to Up Fed, is printing at a 37% annualized pace. It's not going to be sustained at that level, but nonetheless, the inertia is in place coupled with likely further stimulus both here in the U.S. and around the world that I think is going to benefit these pro-growth cyclical sectors on a global basis. So we are leaning into okay. that pro-cyclical trade by way of materials, industrials, and emerging market equity.
1: Wow. uh, Thank you both. Specific
0: recommendations, specific thoughts. Quick last word, Randall. Yeah, I just wanted to join Mark on that. I mean, the the fact of life is the pandemic has given us a very different world, but things will return to normal down the road.
1: Well, succinct and reassuring, we hope. We hope it's sooner than later at this point. It already feels like forever. Randall Ely, Mark Lashini, thank you guys for your thoughts on the market today. As we mentioned, Germany and France are preparing new lockdowns as COVID cases continue to rise there. German Chancellor Angela Merkel announcing just a few minutes ago that her country will go into a partial lockdown starting Monday. Bars and restaurants will be closed. Stores will remain open, but at severely reduced capacity. Schools and daycares can remain open, but gyms, movie theaters, massage parlors all will close. The chancellor warning that in many areas, tracking and tracing the virus is no longer possible due to capacity limits. And one of the big worries is whether we're just a few weeks behind that scenario here in the U.S. Let's get the very latest from our Meg Terrell now. Meg?
6: Hi, Kelly. Well, the numbers here in the U.S. are headed in the wrong direction. In terms of the new daily case numbers, we're at that record. More than 71,000 new cases being recorded each day on the seven-day average. Hospitalizations are rising across the country now. More than 44,000 Americans hospitalized with COVID-19. Deaths have started to increase a little bit as well, though it's not as high as the peaks that we saw a few months ago and the very high peak that we saw uh, back in April. Now the seven-day average in new daily recorded deaths at 810 in the U.S. This, as we are seeing cases spiking across several countries in Europe, check out France there, the blue line, uh, the orange line, the U.K., uh, Spain. Italy, Germany, as you just mentioned, all rising, and the death tolls in those countries um, hitting numbers that we haven't seen in months. Scott Gottlieb this morning, a CNBC contributor, joined Squawk Box to talk about uh, the European trend and where the U.S. is in comparison. Here's what he said.
5: We're about, you know, maybe three weeks behind Europe, maybe a month at the most. So we're on a trajectory to, to look a lot like Europe. Uh, as we enter the month of uh, November. So I think things are going to get worse. The reason it doesn't feel that way right now is because, for the most part, it's a little bad everywhere in the United States. It's not really, really bad anywhere, with the exception maybe of Wisconsin, the Dakotas, Utah. What we have is very diffuse spread. We're sort of at the beginning of the steep part of that epidemic curve right now.
6: And Kelly, Gottlieb warned that we could see 100,000 new daily cases recorded this week if all states report their cases on the same day. Just a staggering number. Back over to you.
1: It, it is staggering. And, Megan, um, one of the interesting things has been to watch all of these countries have had slightly different approaches and slightly different outcomes. But en masse, it seems like this virus is treating everybody the same, and with the exception, perhaps, of Asia. I mean, if you can contrast what Germany has been doing, which is previously lauded but doesn't seem to be all that much more effective, with how Asia had managed to keep its case count from going through these similar spikes.
6: Yeah, I mean, a lot of people point to the fact that Asian countries dealt on a much more uh, up-close-and-personal basis with previous coronavirus outbreaks, like SARS, uh, and MERS and that really is part of the reason countries like South Korea uh, and China have been credited with sort of knowing what to do and how to react and to react quickly um, you hear a lot uh, in European countries as well as here in the u.s about pandemic fatigue I imagine people are feeling it all around the world I'm personally feeling it we've been doing this for a long time uh, but oh, yeah. public health experts are talking about that as you know this we're kind of slipping you know we're not doing everything we should be doing to protect our ourselves.
1: Yeah, no, but again, it does a lot of it just seems come down to wearing masks, social distancing, maybe contract tracing, but some, you know, we all wish that we had the success that some parts of Asia were having and not going down this road. Meg, thanks for now. Meg Terrell with the latest on the COVID front for us. And tonight at 7 p.m. Eastern, Dr. Fauci, Dr. Anthony Fauci will join Shepard Smith to discuss the dire warnings we've been hearing, like you just heard from Scott Gottlieb, about the COVID surge that could be coming across the country. Also, what the next few months could look like and what needs to be done to yet again flatten the curve. You don't want to miss it. Still ahead here, big tech is under fire in Washington today. The CEOs of Facebook, Google and Twitter all testifying in front of Congress over the fate of a key liability shield. And sparks have been flying. We've got the latest. Plus, here's a look at some of the notable movers to the downside today. By the way, Twitter, Facebook and Alphabet all down themselves more than 5%. We're back in a couple. Welcome back. As the sell-off intensifies, the Dow's down nearly 900 points, and let's get a check on the sectors. All 11 are lower right now, but it's strange to see financials, as we were just discussing one of the outperformers today, down 2.4%. The biggest laggards are actually technology, down 3.8%. Communication services has a lot of those names, too. It's down at the bottom, and energy, of course, uh, down 3%. It's been a really difficult trade for that sector lately. Now, all of this is happening as the big tech CEOs are back on Capitol Hill today to testify about their much-criticized content moderation policies. They've had to play a lot of defense so far today and the stocks are reacting poorly. They're down more than 5%. Julia Borson is following the hearing and has the latest for us. Julia?
6: Well, Kelly, today's hearing was meant to be about Section 230. That's the law that protects tech platforms from liability for the content that they host on their platform. But with less than a week to go before the election, a good amount of questioning has been about how these tech giants are handling the election. Senator Ted Cruz had a particularly heated exchange with Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey, alleging bias in what content Twitter flags.
3: You don't believe Twitter has any ability to influence elections? No, we are one part of, of a spectrum of communication channels that people have. So you're testified to this committee right now that, that, that Twitter, when it silences people, when it censors people, when it blocks political speech, that has no impact on elections?
8: People, people have choice of other communication channels.
6: Mark Zuckerberg was also pressed about Facebook's efforts to protect the platform from the kind of manipulation that happened around the
7: last presidential election.
3: We can't stop uh, countries like Russia uh, from trying to interfere in, in an election. Only the U.S. government um, can, can um, really push back and with the appropriate leverage to do that. Uh, but we have built up systems uh, to make sure that we can, we can identify much faster when they're attempting to do that.
6: Zuckerberg and Dorsey both saying they support transparency around the decisions that their companies are making around content. but They also said they need the protections of Section 230 both to enable free speech on their platforms and also to give them the ability to moderate that speech. Kelly?
1: All right, Julia, thank you very much, our Julia Borston. As the hearing continues, Twitter, Facebook, and Alphabet are all down more than 5% today. Twitter dropped lower after that fiery exchange between Senator Cruz and Jack Dorsey. Joining me now, Nilay Patel is editor-in-chief at The Verge and a CNBC contributor. Nilay, it's good to have you. Do you think it's a coincidence the way the shares are trading today with the CEOs on Capitol Hill?
9: I don't think it's a coincidence. Obviously, these companies are all under a lot of scrutiny ahead of the election. The additional scrutiny from Congress today, um, certainly, I think you can see where it's going. Something is going to happen with 230 in the next administration. Uh, There is bipartisan consensus that the tech companies need to be regulated in some way. Um, Democrats want them to moderate more. Republicans want them to moderate less. I can't tell you how that's going to go. What I do know is that today's hearing is pretty embarrassingly bad. Uh, You just start from uh, almost all of the senators mispronouncing Sundar Pichai's name. They just don't seem prepared to go up against these CEOs. They don't seem prepared on the nuance. All of the CEOs have been able to make their content moderation policies sound thoughtful and rigorous and above the fray. Well, we know that's not the case. And uh, we've seen from a number of Republican senators, most notably Ted Cruz, um, a desire to play for sound bites instead of the very difficult nuance and very difficult policy of how we want massive social platforms to actually regulate speech. And so, I, I just think today's hearing yeah. won't have the impact that it it sounds like it should. Uh, but the impact of something happening two thirty is very real.
1: I mean, Eli, it's it seems to me, the more that I look into it, that it's going to protect the way that the law currently treats these companies and the way that these companies currently function. If you go back to the executive order in late May that the president signed that signaled, you know, they were there was going to be retribution, uh, for b- more or less moderating political speech. You look into the details of it and it basically, you know, the Justice Department, different agencies are kind of codifying the way that the law currently treats these companies and the shares for all three of them are up significantly since then. So there's no sign that investors think there's real trouble coming. And that's why I'm, I'm surprised to see the shares down more than 5% today. And frankly, I don't know if it's related to this hearing. I don't know if anything's going to change in a meaningful way other than to make sure that social media as we know it continues to be social media as we know it.
9: I think the big question about social media as we know it is whether it's a good thing for social media to exist as we know it. Simply to operate a platform on the scale of Facebook or YouTube requires those companies to employ armies of moderators looking at horrible content all day that everyone agrees should come down. That work gives those people PTSD. So just the base cost of having Facebook, YouTube, Twitter in the world means that people have to look at horrible content, take it down and suffer the emotional consequences of it. We should really ask ourselves, how much of that work do we want people to do? Do we want all these platforms to be so big that it is an inevitable result of their size and then we should ask ourselves how much speech regulation do we want the government to make how much do you want the government in the united states right. to walk over the first amendment and tell facebook how to moderate that's a real thorny issue i think the reason that we see congress focus on 230 so much is because there's no first amendment issue with changing 230 and liability for defamation on the platforms there is a massive issue in telling them how to actually moderate So they use 230 as a way to get around the core First Amendment problems they have in telling Jack Dorsey actually what to do.
1: Yeah, no, again, I reiterate, I think it seems unlikely that they're even going to go that route. But we can see some nervousness in the shares undeniably today. And Neil, I appreciate you joining me with your reaction to what we've heard so far. Thank you. Nilay Patel is with The Verge. And big tech, one of the worst parts of the market today. We also have lots of earnings movers from some big names like GE, UPS, and Boeing. We'll break them all down for you. Only GE is managing in the green right now. And as the market sell-off intensifies, is this the time to pick up some stocks that had been overstretched? We will look for some values. We're back in a couple. Welcome back. Some see UPS as a safe haven play these days, benefiting from either a recovering economy or a surge in e-commerce shipments if people keep sheltering at home. But the shares are lower by nearly 7% today in the down market, despite earnings, which beat on the top and bottom line. Frank Holland is here with more and the numbers for us. Frank? All right.
8: Yeah, Kelly. you know, UPS shares, as you mentioned, down nearly 7% on pace for their worst day since March. And that's despite beats on the top and the bottom line, as you said. EPS, more than 38 cents, I'm sorry, 38 cents above estimates as the company handles a surge in less profitable residential delivery. During the call, CEO Carol Tomei explained how the company has actually been limiting its volume since July to protect margins that fell slightly overall, but more than 2% in the fast-growing U.S. domestic package segment that handles all that e-commerce.
7: If we took all the
1: volume that was available to us, we would end up with a customer experience that
6: wouldn't be good for us or our customers, and we would end up with what we call chaos costs. And as prices tighten, there is a shift in certain customers who are more
7: price-sensitive than others. We're okay with that if we're losing non-nutritive sales.
8: So no earnings guidance from UPS, but for Q4, the company did forecast high single-digit growth for volume, the same or higher growth for revenue, International growth in the high teens and another quarter of margin pressure, and again, despite shares—sorry, uh, shares falling despite beats—but still up more than sixty-five percent over the last six six months. Kelly, back over to you.
1: Frank, does the company have any plans to invest to expand and to grow right now, given this massive surge that we've seen from e-commerce spend? Right.
8: You know, we've heard that from other companies, but UPS, in fact, actually ex- expects to lower its capex spending from about. Five point six billion this year to about four billion next year. Uh, CEO Carol Tomei says she really wants to sweat the assets they already have and get the most out of the capacity that they have right now. That's kind of an extension of her "better not bigger" philosophy.
1: Sweat the assets. <laughs> Send him to the gym. Give him a workout. Frank, thank you very much. Frank Holland on UPS today. Again, a tough session. Uh, but the CEO, Carol Tome will be on Mad Money with Jim Kramer tonight at 6 p.m. Eastern time. Don't miss that. Meanwhile, shares of Boeing are on pace for their worst week since April after the company reported a net loss of nearly half a billion dollars in Q3. Shares are down about 3 percent right now. Commercial aircraft was hardest hit in terms of units, with sales falling 56 percent in the quarter. Boeing also announcing a new round of job cuts that will take place by the year of next year. Still, CEO Dave Calhoun told CNBC earlier today he remains hopeful for the future. Our
9: production rates will hit their low, the same production rates that we've described previously, will hit their low at about the midpoint of next year. Liquidity is the metric of the day for the travel industry and for Boeing. Um, And we have to keep our eyes squarely focused on it, stay conservative with the balance sheet, make sure we've got enough So when the turn happens, we're ready for it and we can uh, respond to what I think will be ultimately a robust recovery.
1: Calhoun also said they're very close to restoring the 737 max to service. Now, speaking of the balance sheet, they reported negative free cash flow of $5 billion this quarter. That was actually better than Wall Street expectations. But as you can see, the stock is still down more than 3%. Let's turn to GE now, which is one of the few big movers to the upside today. It's third quarter, a pleasant surprise for investors. The company delivered an unexpected profit and handily beat EPS expectations. GE shares are up about 9% right now. In fact, it's the best performer in the S&P today. Another bright spot in their report, cash flow. GE predicts it'll be ca- free cash flow positive, if not late this year, then in 2021. CEO Larry Culp explained on Squawk on the Street this morning.
11: We think next year will be a positive free cash flow year for us. Positive here in the third quarter. We think we have lined aside to at least $2.5 billion in free cash in the fourth quarter. But on a full year basis, we're likely to be negative. Next year, we think that turns positive in no small part because of what's happening in renewables and
1: power. As Culp works on the turnaround, shares of GE are up about 40 percent from their lowest point of the year, up 8.5 percent today. Let's get to Sue Herrera now for our CNBC News Update. Hi, Sue.
7: Hello, Kelly. Hello, everybody. Here's what's happening at this hour. Some property damage occurring in Brooklyn last night after hundreds of protesters descended on the borough to protest Walter Wallace being shot and killed by police in West Philadelphia on Monday. Pennsylvania's governor responded to Wallace's death today saying, quote, we must address the systemic problems that cause tragedies against people of color." End quote. A member of the White House Coronavirus Task Force says the country is at a critical point in its pandemic response. Admiral Brett Groyer acknowledges new cases and deaths are rising and that Americans can help avoid the need for new health restrictions.
5: We still can control this. Uh, By the types of smart policies, wearing a mask, those indoor spaces, avoiding crowds, being very careful around the holidays and having more testing. But if we don't do those things, it may force local officials or government officials in the states to have more draconian measures.
7: And newly released satellite images show construction is underway at Iran's Natanz nuclear facility. We'll keep an eye on that story and much more. Kelly, you're up to date. That's the news update this hour. All right, Sue, thank you very much, Sue Herrera. Coming up, European
1: markets are sinking today as COVID-19 cases rise in France and Germany, with Germany imposing a month-long lockdown light. We've got all the details. Plus, the Fed has been telling Congress for months that more fiscal stimulus is needed, but no dice. Is there anything left in the Fed's arsenal that could make up for the lack of stimulus? We'll dive into that. As we head to break, take a look at oil, down more than 5% to sit back at a three-week low. Much more coming up here on The Exchange. Welcome back. Markets are selling off again today. Dow's down uh, nearly 800 points on rising COVID cases here in the U.S. and expected new lockdown measures abroad. In fact, the Dow is now down for its fourth session in a row, and that's the longest losing streak it's seen since February. Bob Bassani has a check on the day's big movers for us. Bob?
2: And, Kelly, a little mini rally here. Not much, but we're 15 points off the lows of about 20 minutes ago. Still a pretty rough day. And I'll tell you the key here is there's a general takedown of the market. Professional investors just lowering their overall exposure. Now, how do you know that? Just look at the sectors here. So on a day like today, the reopening story is not going well. You'd expect the travel and leisure stocks, they would be down. Okay, more than normal, but they're all down 3 4%. If you look like the usual names, Marriott, Live Nation, the airlines, you know, those are down but at the same time look at the work from home stocks these are the ones that benefited from the lockdown before guess what slack zoom uh, video, Amazon, they're all down the same amount as everybody else. That's a takedown of the market. That's reducing exposure in general. I don't care what's going on, what exposure you got. I just want a little less exposure to the overall market. Now, Frank was talking about UPS. Here's the problem. They had great numbers, but the lack of guidance is a big problem for the market. And not just UPS, many companies, GE, General Dynamics, MasterCard, Boeing, they're all not saying anything. So the analysts are really having a hard time. We saw this in the second and the third quarter. It's going to be a problem in the fourth quarter as well. Finally, here's the S&P 500. We topped out October 12th, the day before earnings started. And guys, it's been basically downhill since then, 7% below that. It's almost like the market sniffed out some of these problems with the fourth quarter and the earnings and trying to figure out the future around the whole COVID issue. Guys, back to you.
1: Yeah, it's a weird one today, Bob. Thank you. We appreciate it, Bob Bassani. And it started in Europe, where markets were sinking as further lockdown measures are expected to be announced. As cases surge there, you can see the German DAX down 4% today, down more than 8% this past week. Seema Modi has the latest for us. Sima And Kelly,
12: we are just getting additional details on Chancellor Merkel's lockdown measures. Uh, starting November 2nd, bars and restaurants will close. Hotels will be only open for essential workers as the numbers in intensive care units, she says, have doubled over the past 10 days. So that is contributing to the declines we're seeing in Europe, led by Germany, now down about 8 percent on the week, back to levels not seen since May, uh, but still 40 percent off the March lows. And it does come ahead of the European Central Bank policy meeting tomorrow, where President Christine Lagarde is expected to hold off on any change in interest rates, but to suggest more easing in December amid lockdown fears. So watch out for that. One encouraging data point is in Asia, where most countries like China seem to have controlled their COVID case count for now. And it does fall. Some optimistic commentary, Kelly, from industrial CEOs General Electric. Uh, Larry Kulp, this morning saying demand is nearly back to normal in China. And yesterday, Caterpillar, yes, a disappointing report, but they did see that they're seeing positive growth in China as well. So it's worth noting stocks overnight in Asia did actually close mostly higher. Kelly.
1: That's a great point, Seema. Thank you, Seema Modi. All that said, the NASDAQ today is dropping more than 3%. It's lagging the Dow and having its worst day since early September. Let's bring in Mike Santoli for more on this sell-off, Mike. And I mean, this, it doesn't quite add up. It doesn't have that, you know, that, that coronavirus feel that we saw, you know, dominate trading for much of the spring. But maybe, like Bob said, this is just a, a sell-everything kind of move, kind of moment.
13: Yeah, sell-everything, or at least also, there's all kinds of reasons not to uh, perhaps step in and be a hero and buy aggressively either, and whether that's because of the election coming up in a few days or just because it seems as if we might be on the front edge of another little phase of COVID uh, surges. By the way, I also think that uh, the earnings season was sort of bookended by Netflix saying, hey, things are good, but look toward the first half of next year. We're going to have some tough comparisons. So your stay at home beneficiaries are now in that window of having to say we really had it good for the uh, for a few months. And at the same time, the market's being forced to push out its estimate of exactly when we get that snapback in some of the most affected sectors. That's a simplistic way of thinking about it. But I do think it explains partly why NASDAQ is down, not really helping support the market. Microsoft's Modest downward revision of, of earnings guidance, of revenue guidance, uh, adds to these fears about IT spending on the business side. Uh, at the same time, MasterCard's missed. I mean, payments was by far one of the most consensus favorite growth sectors out there. And you have to rethink that as well. So all of it together, though, Kelly, we're really just kind of carving out some uh, a path back toward the low end of this range that we've been in. The lows of September a few percent below here.
1: Do you make anything, Mike, of the fact that financials are, quote, unquote, uh, one of the best performers today?
13: I think they kind of had their pain coming into today. So that's one of the reasons that I don't think there's a fresh round of fear about that. I'll say the Treasury yields, yes, they're backing off of, uh, of the recent highs we had coming into this week. But it's by far it's I mean, it's far from a buying panic in Treasury. So you're not really seeing that urgent demand for the traditional havens that could change if this thing deepens. But right now, when you have the 10 year Treasury yield holding above you know, three quarters of a percent, it could be worse for financials, put it that way.
1: Very true. It could be a lot worse. Mike, thank you very, very much. Mike Santoli. Coming up, the Fed has been calling for more fiscal stimulus, which depends on either Congress or the Treasury. What about the Fed's own toolkit? Is it empty? We'll look at that next. And all but one of the Dow 30 stocks are in the red today. Travelers managing a gain of just about one percent. The exchange is back in a couple. Welcome back. The tech hearing with the CEOs of Facebook, Google and Twitter just ended a little early, in fact, although there were some feisty exchanges with lawmakers. Elon Moy is here with
14: the latest. Elon? Well, Kelly, Republicans try to call out the platforms as having a double standard when it comes to content moderation, flagging tweets and posts from the president, but still leaving up distasteful content from some of our foreign adversaries, including the leader of Iran.
2: So somebody who denies the Holocaust has happened is not misinformation.
8: It's it's misleading information, but we don't have a policy against that type of misleading information. We,
2: Millions of people died, and that's not a violation
14: Now, President Trump also tweeted during the hearing, he appeared to be watching it, and he called big tech worse than the fake news, and he said that Section 230 should be repealed. Meanwhile, Democrats slammed the companies for not being aggressive enough in policing their own platforms, and they sought assurances that they would seek to root out disinformation ahead of the election.
5: The issue is not that the companies before us today are taking too many posts down. The issue is that they're leaving too many dangerous posts up. In fact, they're amplifying harmful content so that it spreads like wildfire and tortures our democracy.
14: Now, the companies did commit to removing any content that incites violence after the election, Kelly, even if it comes from the president. Back to you. Elon, thank you very much. Elon Moy with the latest on that hearing today.
1: Markets are selling off today as COVID cases rise to record levels around the world, but the Fed has been warning the U.S. needs more stimulus, and that was even before cities like Chicago started tightening restrictions again. Steve Leesman has been following that story for us and has the details now.
10: Steve?
11: Hey, Kelly. Yeah, you know, there's a reason Fed Chairman Jay Powell has used every chance he got to urge for more fiscal stimulus is because... In part, the Fed's options to provide more aid to the economy are limited. Those are limited. Those limits are what the Fed can do by law, what it can't do, and what it thinks would be effective. Here's a partial checklist of some of the things the Fed could do. Quantitative easing, that it can do on its own. Reallocate funds from the CARES Act? Well, that's up to Congress and or the Treasury. Negative rates? It could do that, but doesn't think they'd be especially effective. The Fed's balance sheet ramped up quickly through the spring by $3 trillion. Much of that came from Fed purchase of Treasuries and mortgages to smooth market functioning. But it's been pretty flat, you can see, since then, at least for several months. A QE program will be designed to drive yields down further. <clears throat> The Fed could also alter the composition of its balance sheet to drive down longer-term yields, sell short-term securities, buy long-term paper. But at 76 basis points on the 10-year and the housing market already booming, it's a little unclear how much economic lift the Fed would get out of more QE. There remained considerable lending power also in Fed programs. But this has not gotten onto the economy yet. Take a look at some of the idle relief money we've talked about here. Uh, PPP loans, Congress would have to reallocate that. Federal loan support, $259 billion, could be reallocated by the Treasury uh, or changing the Fed programs. And there's other programs as well with $100 billion or more of unspent CARES money. The Main Street Lending Facility, it was supposed to lend hundreds of billions of dollars to mid-sized businesses, but it's only loaned about $3 billion, changing the rules to make that money more attractive for businesses to borrow. Well, that's up to the Treasury to sign on to, and it's proven to be more reluctant and worth pointing out, Kelly. Powell and the Fed have been warning for months about the risk of a resurgent virus. Risk the market is now taking more seriously.
1: Although Steve, like to your point, and we've talked so much about this, they have the Main Street lending facility. They could make tweaks so that people are more inclined to adopt it. I mean, why keep pointing the finger at Congress when they could do more on their own in order to actually increase take up of that facility?
11: You know, Kelly, I just checked on that earlier today. The, the Fed cannot do that on its own. It's up to the Treasury and the Federal Reserve. And it's actually more on the Treasury because it's the Treasury whose money or the money allocated by Congress that would be lost if the uh, uh, restrictions or the covenants and the loans were loosened up. So I, I think the, the word on the street is that the Fed would like to do more. And it's the Treasury Secretary, Steve Mnuchin, who's been more reluctant uh, and, in fact, urged some banks not to. Uh, give certain loans or not to be too loose with the lending so that there is not a loss of money. In an interview that he did with a a, a gaga with reporters, uh, he specifically pointed out how Hank Paulson had not lost any money from the original tarp act and he was sort of aiming for that same idea was not to lose any money in the lending that's being done.
1: Yeah, that's a tough standard uh, in a pandemic. All right, Steve, thank you very much. Appreciate it. Steve Leesman with the latest on what the Fed can still do. Still ahead, we're going to have a lot more on today's sell-off, with the Dow having its worst day since June 11th. Check out the value ETF. It's down about 3%, a little more than 2% today. It's falling 14% so far this year. question is, is this a long-term buying opportunity? It is somewhat outperforming today. The exchange is back in a couple. Welcome back. Stocks continue to sink on virus fears. The Dow is down more than 800 points right now, uh, down 3%, and we're seeing 3% declines pretty much across the board today. Could the sell-off be an opportunity to buy some names that got very stretched? My next guest says yes, if you're patient. Let's welcome in Michael Farr. He is the CEO of Farm Miller in Washington and a CNBC contributor. Michael, welcome. What do you mean by patient?
15: Thank you, Kelly. Uh, It's great to be with you, by the way. Uh, Well, I mean, be patient and and apply your discipline. Uh, This is an emotional time. Markets feel emotional. We're emotional about the election. We're worried about the coronavirus. As you look at uh, the indexes today, the Dow, the S&P and Nasdaq, all are down about the same equally, about 3%, which means to me that money's coming out pretty equally across the board. If I go back to September the 2nd, when the market was pretty much at a high, we're down over 8% right now. So if you're going to buy pullbacks, if you're going to be disciplined, if you can be a bit patient and say, I'm going to look for solid balance sheets, I'm going to look for earnings growth, I'm going to look for returns on equity, identify those companies, and when they hit your triggers, I think that there's an opportunity to add to things that perhaps had gotten away from you, I think there's also an opportunity right. uh, in a disciplined way to add to some other names that have, haven't bounced back yet.
1: Give us, Michael, the names, if you could, before we have to go.
15: Okay, so a number of the tech stocks have gotten away, and they really are coming back pretty strongly, and that may continue. St- things, uh, things like uh, Valmont, for instance, which is a smaller but infrastructure company that's going to benefit from infrastructure spending if we have another stimulus bill. It certainly looks, Kelly, like if we have a blue wave in this election, we're going to get more stimulus than perhaps has been discussed so far. That should be good for markets, and that should mean the path of least resistance for stocks coming into a new administration will likely be higher.
1: All right. Well, we'll leave it there. We appreciate it, Michael Farr, giving us some specificity and also some you know, encouragement, I would say, at a time like this. Michael Farr, Farr Miller in Washington. That does it for The Exchange today. We're going to keep a very close eye on today's sell-off and have a whole lot more coming up on that on Power Lunch. Don't go anywhere. I'll join Tyler Matheson after this quick break. You've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day, same time, same place.